What an amazing reading and, and package of worship that we just experienced. It was just so theologically rich and, and just so renewing. Thank you, worship team, and thank you for all of those who uh, participated in the different readings. And uh, I was just so blessed uh, by all of that. I'm excited today. I'm excited because today we are going to be wrapping up a 10-week journey through the book of Colossians. That's right, we're on week 10 of this journey through the book of Colossians. And I really believe that Colossians is the kind of book that can actually help us in today's climate, that can actually help us in some of the difficulties that we're dealing with in our world today and how we sift through going about being a Christian in a climate where even the Christians are fighting with one another. You see, that was actually happening in the first century in Paul's time as well, as he's going around planting churches and, and preaching uh, Christocentric theology. Uh, Jesus first, Jesus is everything. Paul is often warning his churches of different teachings that have been seeping into the life of the church. And we have a lot of that today. We have a lot of that happening today where instead of preaching Jesus, we're preaching politics or we're preaching conspiracy and different things like that. And so the book of Colossians can really help ground us. The Apostle Paul is in prison, as I've told you already, in, in prison, probably in Ephesus when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. He also, they think, wrote the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to Philemon. And so we have similarities within all of those books. And so you can read Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon and see a lot of the similar teachings and, and similar thoughts that Paul is having through this. But his heart is really about the church, the people in the church who are uh, at risk of being taught or drifting into some of these false teachings. And so Paul has never met the church in Colossae. He's only heard about them from a guy named Epaphras. And we believe that Epaphras was actually in prison with Paul at the time. And so you can imagine the Apostle Paul is imprisoned in Ephesus, probably, now I'm reading into this a little bit, but probably struggling a little bit. Struggling to see uh, where his churches are at. Like if you read First and Second Corinthians, you see all kinds of struggles and you see the church, uh, uh, you know, being hyper-spiritual in ways that Paul is trying to pull them back and say, no, ground yourself in Christ. But you see the Corinthians push back and say, actually, Paul, we're not going to follow you. We're going to follow Apollos instead. And so there's friction happening within the Christian churches that Paul has planted. Colossians, he's never met. They're not turning against him. Paul is excited, probably struggling a bit in prison, but excited to hear a positive report. He's excited to hear that there's something positive happening in this church in Colossians. And so Paul wants to get ahead of the game. He wants to write a letter to them to say, this is how you go about living in this climate. This is how you go about uh, serving Jesus, uh, evangelizing uh, Jesus to others. This is how you ground your life in faith. And in chapter one, 
Paul opens with his typical uh, praise and thanksgiving that he's praying for this church constantly. And he says that since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, you have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Paul always says everything you've received, everything that you're about is because of Jesus. Not because of your effort, not because of some preacher, not because of some political movement. Everything you have is in Christ. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul says that this message, this message that you receive, this gospel that you receive, it is growing. How do we know it's growing? Because it's bearing fruit. And again, the Apostle Paul stresses that faith has to lead to fruitfulness. Your life bears fruit when you hear and respond, Paul says, to God's amazing grace. He actually literally says that you heard and true, the day that you heard and truly understood God's grace. And I think that that's a super important point for us Christians to understand is God's grace. That we live under God's grace, that we are motivated by the power and presence of that grace in us through his Holy Spirit. And he mentions Epaphras in this, and he says that Epaphras is who informed us of how you are doing and your love for the churches all around you. And then Paul prays this amazing prayer. Now, this is, this is, we're talking nine weeks ago that uh, we taught this, and so it's important for us to read Paul's letters from start to finish in one sitting, and so it's difficult to preach through uh, it, you know, week after week after week, and so this is why I feel I need to recap it for you a little bit. And he says that, I pray these very specific things for you, because these are actually the key things that are going to help you to live your life by faith in the climate of today, that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that there will be this connection that you have relationally with Jesus that reveals to you God's will. God's will is that you would live your life in Christ and that all wisdom and spiritual understanding would be a deep part of who you are. And then he says, we're, we're, praying so that, we're praying this so that your lives can be worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. How is it pleasing to him? He says, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You see, faith is not just about declaring something. Faith is actually about declaring it and then learning to live it by learning to be like Jesus Christ. And in order to be like Jesus Christ, you have to learn about who he was. But not just learning in head knowledge, but actually transferring that knowledge into our hearts. And so we, we gain a knowledge of God through Christ, and it's that knowledge that strengthens us to endure everything that we have to deal with as Christians. And he says not just to endure it, but to endure it with patience. Now, I know over this past year, a lot of us have probably lacked patience. We've struggled to endure but we're living under God's glorious 
grace. And so as you press into an understanding of his will, a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is to each of us, then you begin to learn to endure and to be patient. In the second part of chapter one, Paul moves into uh, what's actually structured uh, similar to a hymn. And the reason it's structured similar to a hymn is he'll deal with one section, then go to another section, then return back and connect back to the first section. And so that's often how uh, a hymn of praise is, uh, is written. But he, he establishes through that hymn what theologians call Paul's Christology, Paul's understanding of who Jesus was and what it was that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And he establishes very quickly that all things were created by Christ, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that all things were created through him and specifically created for him. He says that that Jesus is the one that is the head of the body, which is the church. You see, we are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, and he is the head. He is the one that we are following. And then he says that, that all the fullness of God was actually pleased to live in Jesus. All of the fullness of God is revealed to us and, and pleased to live in Jesus Christ. And because of his willingness to live in Jesus, to be in his fullness, for God to be incarnate here on earth through the person of Jesus, he reconciled all things to himself, through himself. And Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross, according to the Apostle Paul, was he brought peace through the bond of the cross, through the blood of the cross, sorry. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions. You see that connection between belief and behavior? We behave what we actually believe. He says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as people who are holy faultless, and without blame. Paul's Christology is that the work of the cross has made us right with God, that we are now seen as holy and righteous. We we aren't in our everyday life, but that we're seen by God that way. But Paul puts in a big but there. He says, but you need to remain well-established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. And so this is Paul's main intent of this letter. Don't shift away from the gospel that you heard and shift into some of these worldly gospels that people are actually preaching. Now, Paul moves into his service for the church. He says, I'm happy to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's suffering with my own body. And if you remember in that sermon, I talked about how uh, the Jewish belief was that more suffering would come and that Paul actually believes that his suffering uh, on behalf of the church, that it will be uh, done on their behalf so that they won't have to suffer as much as he has suffered. 
And then he goes into this conversation about a secret plan, how he's revealing God's secret plan among the Gentiles. And what that secret plan is, this thing that has always been something that no one really understood, but now we can truly understand, is very simple, folks. It's that Christ lives in you. This was a different concept. Christ, God, had never lived in anybody. But upon uh, Acts chapter 2, upon the coming of the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Christ is literally living in us, guiding us, shaping us, molding us, calling us to repentance. This is revolutionary in an understanding of who God is and how we go about living our lives for God. Because now God is in us and empowering us. And this is the secret that Paul is revealing to everybody in Christ. Then he encourages them, again, to stay rooted specifically in Jesus, not to root yourself in the way you think and the way you act, in the mindset of the world, but to root yourself in Jesus. He says in verse 7 of chapter 2, be rooted and built up in him, be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving, just as you were taught. You see, when we shift away from overflowing with thanksgiving and we become bitter and we become tainted, we're pulling away from the image of Christ. And so he says the correction is always to be thankful, to remember where you came from, to remember what it is that God actually did for you. Always live a life full of thanksgiving, even when life absolutely sucks. He says, see to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. Folks, this is what we're seeing all around us today. When somebody is projecting hate, when somebody is projecting violence, when somebody is not being loving to their enemy, they're projecting the ways of the world instead of the ways of Christ. When the, when the church is preaching politics rather than preaching Jesus, we have adopted the ways of the world. And Paul is warning them, even in the first century, to not conform to these human conditions, to the, to the way that the world thinks and acts. Don't fall into being enslaved by these, these philosophical, foolish deceptions. Root yourself in who Jesus was. And remember, you have to learn about who he is in order to become like him. And I think that that's one of the errors that's happening in the Christian church today, is that we don't actually know much about Jesus. We're not actually in much of a relationship with Jesus because we don't know much about Jesus. We've just professed Jesus, and that's about it. And then we're able to be fooled and deceived by worldly preaching and teaching. But it's actually all got to be rooted in Christ, you understanding his will and learning more about God through Jesus Christ. Now, here is is one of the greatest parts of the gospel as far as I'm concerned. He says, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things that you had done wrong. God is a forgiving God. He's not a God who holds something against us. When we ask for forgiveness, we receive that forgiveness. 
And because of the work that Christ did on the cross, we are able to be forgiven for everything we've done and for everything that we are doing. He says that Jesus destroyed the record of the debt that we owe with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. So he says, if you died in verse 20 of chapter 2, if you died with Christ to the way the world thinks and acts, then why do you submit to the rules and regulations as though you were living in the world? A lot of people misuse this passage today to say that means we don't have to follow any of the regulations and rules of the world. But actually, what he's saying is, is that it's about the way that you think and the way that you act. That if you're behaving like the world, if you're self-centered, if you're making things all about you instead of about Jesus, then you are taking on the posture of the world. And why on earth would you do that when you've been forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ and you've been given the ability to be in full relationship with God, to live your life in his presence, in his kingdom presence here on earth? So he says, don't fall into the trap of thinking and acting like the world. Learn to take on the likeness of Christ. And then the amazing chapter three, where Paul tells us what to put off and what to put on. He tells us to put off these certain things that that stop us from being in a deep relationship with Jesus. They're the things that get in our way in our lives. They're the worldly things, the way that we used to be. And then he tells us to put on. He says that, therefore, as God's choice, chosen, holy and loved people, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now think about that. The Lord forgave you even though you didn't deserve forgiveness. And so he says the posture of a Christian, and this is partially how you know if you're actually being told the gospel message or a worldly message of politics. The message comes with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience with a tolerance for others and a willingness to forgive in a way that is so radical that we don't deserve. This is what Paul is asking the church in Colossians to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and a radical forgiveness forgiving someone even when they don't deserve it. And then Paul goes in to say, this is how this functions in our lives, in our households. Now this week's passage, this week's passage really wraps things up. It's not the end of Colossians. We're not gonna go into his final greetings, but this week's passage, I want us to go back to thinking Paul in prison, probably a little bit frustrated with his circumstances and with where some of his churches are at, but he receives this exciting news that there is this church that's really trying to press into life in Christ. In chapter four, verse two, he says, keep on praying and guard your prayers with thanksgiving. 
At the same time, pray for us also. Pray that God would open a door for the words so we can preach the secret plan of Christ, which is why I'm in chains. Pray that I might be able to make it as clear as I ought to when I preach. Act wisely toward others, making the most of the opportunity. Your speech should always be gracious and sprinkled with insight so that you may know how to respond to every person. Now, some of your translations may not actually say keep on praying. They may actually say devote yourself to prayer. Now, this is an interpretive thing that the interpreters have done to help you capture Paul's heart, to capture the meaning behind the text. But the actual Greek text, Paul is making an assumption with his statement of keep on praying. He's assuming that if you're in Christ, that if your life is fruitful, that if you're learning the will of God, that you are already praying. Because to Paul, a Christian who doesn't pray is, is a very odd circumstance to, Christ, to, to Paul. He wouldn't understand how you could be a Christian and not be a praying Christian. Because the way that we interact with God is through prayer and through his scriptures. And so we, we, if you're not praying, you're not interacting. And what kind of relationship is that? So Paul assumes that this church, because he's heard good things about them, that those good things are coming because they're interacting with God through prayer. But uh, Bibles like the NIV would say, devote yourself to prayer. Because they're trying to get Paul's meaning through where he's assuming you're already praying because all Christians should be devoted to prayer. Like I'm devoted to my wife. I'm devoted to the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, no matter how much pain the Leafs cause me, I still cheer for them no matter what. Devoting ourselves to something is very different than trying to do something consistently. So we, we keep on praying by devoting our whole self to knowing God deeper. And that happens through prayer. And then Paul says something interesting here. Keep on praying and guard your prayers with thanksgiving. You see, there's, there's a thing about prayer. Prayer can often become extremely self-centered. Have you ever noticed that, that sometimes when we're praying, if you really pay attention to what you're praying, it's all like us petitioning God for things that we want and things that we need. And the thing that guards against that type, of, there's nothing wrong with praying for those things, but when your entire conversation is all about you and never about him, what kind of conversation actually is that? And so when we pray, when we converse with God, the way to guard ourselves against that is guarding our prayer with thanksgiving. There's that thanksgiving thing back again. It's the heart and the posture of thanksgiving that helps us to remember where we came from and it expands our ability to pray God's will. And when we pray God's will, God's will will be done. So he says to guard your prayer with thanksgiving. At the same time, he says, also pray for us. 
Now, one last note about uh, devoting, being devoted to prayer. You can see that in uh, other letters by Paul. Romans 12, uh, verse 12 would be a good example of that. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, or Acts chapter 6, verse 4. All of those things show how Paul references this importance of devoting ourselves to prayer. But then he asks for the Colossians to actually pray for him. Now, this is the part that actually blows my mind. Because if you're sitting in prison, if the circumstances of your life right now are really crappy, which actually most of us are kind of thinking we're living in right now in this midst of COVID-19, that, you know, life is crappy. I'm being told by the government what I can and can't do. And so Paul, interestingly enough, says, you know, church, I want you to pray for us also. But listen to what Paul asks for. He says, pray that God would open a door for the word so we can preach the secret plan of Christ, which is why I'm in chains. He says, pray that I might be able to make it as clear as I ought to when I preach. The Apostle Paul does not ask them to pray for a change in his circumstances. Remember, Paul's content in all of his circumstances. The number one thing to the Apostle Paul and the number one thing that needs to be at the center of our lives as Christians is that the gospel message would be out to the world. You see, Jesus never said to his people, gather in one place to entertain yourselves. He actually says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wants us to gather to celebrate and sing praises to him, but then he wants us to go and to give the message to the world. And Paul doesn't want his circumstances changed. He doesn't care that he's in prison. That will get dealt with in one way or another, whether it's through his death or through his release. He doesn't care about that. His central care, the the central point of what he wants them to pray for is simply that the doors would be flung open so that I can tell people about this secret that Christ can live in You, that Jesus Christ died for us, that he gave his life for us on the cross so that we can be reconciled to God and be in full relationship with him so that as we're praying, we can know him, he can know us, and we can live our lives relationally in Christ. And so don't change my circumstances. Instead, open doors so this life-changing message could get out to the world. And then he says, and his part that he plays as a preacher, he says, pray that I am able to to say this message, to preach this message as clearly as I ought to. So pray that I can clearly preach the message of Jesus Christ crucified. Folks, what you got to understand is what drives the early church is that Jesus died and he rose again. That is what is motivating them to tell the world, look at what just happened. Our Messiah has come. And so Paul's not worried about his circumstances. He's actually concerned with the message getting out. And we should be 
just as concerned with the open door. And now Paul attaches that to his next section. So keeping that in mind, that his whole mindset is that this message gets out to those who don't know Christ. It's not a message we keep to ourselves. It's a message that we send out. He says, act wisely toward outsiders. Outsiders means those who don't know Christ. So act wisely toward them making the most of the opportunity. In other words, you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, act wisely toward them, treat them with the compassion and the kindness that he's told us to put on. And when you're treating them that way, make the best of every opportunity. Every time you can show them Christ through your life, do it. Every time that you can tell them about Christ through your life or through your words, do it. Make the most of every opportunity because the primary thing that drives us is Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose again. And this is the most important message all across the planet. And we have that message. And so take that opportunity. But then he says your speech when you're doing this, when you're, when you're living your life in Christ and you're, you're being wise amongst outsiders, when you're doing this, always be gracious. Don't be pushy. Don't be a jerk. Don't be like, you need to believe what I believe. Like, don't fight with people. Don't take on that kind of posture. Don't wag your finger at people and say, you believe the wrong things. I believe the right things. I know the truth and you don't know the truth. That's not, that's not clothing yourself with Christ. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, enduring. These are the things that are clothed in Christ through us. And so always let your speech be gracious. And, And then he says this, and sprinkled with insight so that. This is the knowing God more. Sprinkled with insight because the Holy Spirit's living in us so that you may know how to respond to every person. I don't actually think the Apostle Paul is saying, take apologetic courses so you know how to argue your faith, so that you know how to prove your faith. I actually think that through who you are as a transformed person in Christ, you can give them insight into the wisdom that Christ has given you about why you live the way that you live. It's not about having the perfect answers. It's not about going and getting a theology degree or a degree in apologetics because that actually is a posture of fighting for our faith. And the Bible never calls us to fight for our faith. The Bible calls us to to live a cause, not to fight a cause. And when we're living the cause of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can respond to every person with wisdom with grace, with a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is because we continue to pray. We continue to press in with thanksgiving. We continue to take on a posture of love toward all people, including our enemies. This is the life that Paul is calling this church to. These are the things that keep you away from being convinced of things that are not of the gospel. It's not about us, folks. It's all about him. And it's all about the fact that he died and he conquered death 
and rose again so that you and I could live, could live in harmony with one another, could live under his grace here on earth and could be invited into his kingdom now where life isn't just about a future kingdom, but that life is actually about living in Christ, in his kingdom, right here and right now. These are the things, folks, in times like this that keep us grounded in Christ and make us a good witness to our neighbor. The more heated that things get in our world, the more Christians should be loving others, caring for others, being compassionate and kind. The more Christians should be praying and communing with God and praying for our neighbors and asking God for an open door so that we can show Christ to the world. Jesus Christ lives in us and he's calling us, church, to manifest his presence here on earth.